This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, December 7th, the What's Elf on the Shelf edition. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 14, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. And I am Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster out in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 14. And I'm Katherine Goldstein, a contributing editor to Slate, and the mom to Asher, who is almost two and a half. Now, Gabriel Roth is feeling under the weather this week, but he'll be back next time. Feel better, Gabe. Today, we'll be taking listener questions about dealing with estranged parents and whether following the rules is limiting a child's potential career path. But first, it's time for triumphs and fails. Carvel, what have you got for us? Well, I know the last time we had all triumphs and that that made us uncomfortable, but as much as I tried (laughs) to fuck up my parenting this week, I couldn't do it. I just, Mm. it just kept working out. So I have another triumph, which is that um, we have this tradition in our family every year of we drive north to this Christmas tree farm, which is like two hours north of here, which is way longer than it needs to be. And then we cut down a tree. And then we spend the whole day at this like winter wonderland and we get like peppermint bark and we pick out every every year these kids pick out new um, ornaments and then we put the tree on the top of the car and then we drive back and we stop for burgers on the way back and then I drop all the kids off and then me and my two kids go home and we set up the tree. That's what we do every year. And um, we it has turned into like a little bit of a thing where other kids will join in. So we have this one kid who really – is not doesn't really even interact with our family at all except she always goes with us to get this christmas tree which is so <laughs> random and now she's a, i guess she's now a 10th grader so she's really in full but she's we've been doing this ever since she was like in elementary school but um but uh she's at full teenage mode anyway we did this thing and we went to get the christmas tree and it was just i mean i don't 
it's the whole thing was a victory. There wasn't one particular thing that happened. It was just such an incredibly good day. And we went through all the phases. We listened to Christmas music the whole way up. And then the kids complain about the Christmas music and they keep wanting to put on like trap. And I'm like, we're not listening to trap today. This is a Christmas thing. <laughs> there's not going to be any like little pump or whatever it is you want to listen to. That's not happening. <laughs> we're, you know what I mean? Like we're doing the Christmas thing. We're going to mow down Christmas and that's what this is. And shut up and be quiet back there and get in the fucking Christmas spirit. God damn it. And we do, we play this whole thing and everyone laughs and, it was all fun. And then we get there and we did it all. And then they pick out ornaments and it takes them forever to pick out ornaments. And they fight over who's going to get what ornament and all this stuff. And we just did it. We did the whole thing. We brought the tree back. We set it up. The kids decorated. But the thing that made this one special was that the kids really were in charge of decorating the tree. Like we, me and Joe just kind of sat down and watched them do it. And it and it was this weird rite of passage where Ezra actually ended up putting the instead of a star we have a dove that we put on top of the tree. Ezra ended up putting the dove on top of the tree himself. He climbed up on the ladder and he was the one that anointed the tree with this final thing. And and I when I tell you that I started to cry inside when I saw this because it suddenly just occurred to me, and this is the thing about these family traditions, is you see your kids' progress over time. And we we have these ornaments that have pictures of them from the, when they were babies, you know, like these little tiny ornaments. And then we have little ornaments that it's like Ezra's third Christmas, George's second Christmas, you know. And we just get to see these things every year. And, and something about watching them put together the tree themselves and choose where the lights were going to go and take out all the ornaments and hang them up. And then finally watching Ezra climb the ladder and put the dove on top, it just – it just, it really blew my mind. I just became really hmm. grateful and appreciative for everything that has happened and how our kids are here. And it was a victory. I'm sorry. I tried to fuck it up and I couldn't do it. It was just too good. Carvel, your life is turning into one of those Hallmark Christmas movies. That's what's happening right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, a, little, it's a little frightening. <laughs> I'm way out of my element here. <laughs> I, I actually find that story so moving, Carvel, being at the beginning of my uh, parenting journey, the idea of seeing them sort of take to the tradition and also the fact that they're teenagers and aren't treating it sort of like it's a silly kid thing or in a cynical way just and we're really able to enjoy it and then the whole image of Ezra putting the dove on the top is is so cool so that sounds that sounds totally amazing like really um, exciting start to the holiday season. Now, Catherine, yeah. um, can you counter that with some sort of horrible fail for us? <laughs> well, <laughs> I do. I do have a fail. I don't know. It's it, you'll have to tell me if it's as terrible as that is wonderful. But um, here's my fail. So um, my son is almost two and a half, and he's definitely now in that age where he's obsessed with toys. Um, and he really likes new toys and it's the novelty is really important. I don't know if that ever wears off or if this is a phase, but um, and he's really into vehicles and cars and, you know, he loves the little uh, plastic cars you get at drugstores, et cetera, et cetera. So my husband and I are really not on the same page about how many toys we should be buying him and on for what reasons and on what occasions. So. I um, feel like when we we lived in Cambridge for a while, I was really hesitant to get more toys because we were going to move. And I think I kind of overdid it with like the toy, the toy, uh, uh, a ban or whatever. And then we came back to New York and he's all of a sudden my husband, I felt like was going out every weekend with him to like buy a toy. 
And I really felt like that was excessive. And um, my husband kind of saw it as like, it's just like a fun activity. Like you get him cars at the at a toy store or like a bodega or whatever. And it was like a good distraction, a good new thing. But I just really started to worry he's going to get spoiled. Like he's not showing signs of being spoiled, but I just felt like a toy for no reason every weekend seemed really like a lot. And my husband set, feels like it's not a lot. And so... We're at a really bit of a stalemate, and now anytime buying toys comes up, it's this like sort of tense conversation. And then we're also in a dynamic where I'll occasionally see toys like we could order online that I think he'd really like that aren't just like stupid drugstore uh, plastic stuff that's going to break. But I won't order it because I'm like, oh, well, Travis will be getting him more toys anyway. And then Travis gets to be the fun parent who's always getting the toys. So it's basically <laughs> like yes. I feel like just – have to I'm having to be like this a really like really grinchy about it and but to sort of counteract the enthusiasm Travis has and it's I feel like we're on the same page about a lot of things but toys whenever it comes up now it's like a tense topic in our home so mm. I feel mm. like that is a fail I would mm. I, I, I I welcome your counsel Oof, well I I remember yeah. you know having a similar situation I am the I was and still am the sort of perpetual buyer of things that my kids want. I'm not going to lie about that. It's true. They're not spoiled, though. I mean, I, I don't think anybody would think that if they met them. They're very appreciative of all their stuff they have. They're very polite. Uh, they're normal kids. Um, but I mean, would, there was a point when they were really little where like, you know, just couldn't. Uh, like even just going and buying something for a couple bucks every weekend would have just been like not super affordable. So I remember just like coming up with a system where um, we would hide a bunch of stuff, like just only have a certain amount of toys available at all times and then sort of rotate the toys. So they kind of felt new <laughs> to the kids, you know, so it, it, we'd have like uh, separating toys into a bunch of boxes, putting them in sort of storage bins and putting some of the bins in like a closet and then like switching out all the bins on this little like rack system we had so that on a Saturday morning, they'd have like different stuff to play with that uh, maybe felt new to them a little bit. But I, I don't know. I mean, this sounds like, you know, a, a philosophy thing that might be a little tougher to deal with than just that. I don't know. What do you think, mm -hmm. Carvel? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, well, there's two issues here, right? One is like that you're, you don't like the amount of toy purchasing that has become a part of your life. And the second issue is that from a purely strategic perspective, that puts you in a little bit of a corner because now you've got one person lavishing love and objects on <laughs> your child and then another person, which is you having to right. counter. So right. you've been maneuvered into this difficult position. So the, for the second thing, I have a much easier thing, which is that I, I, but it requires the first thing to change. Like, I don't think there's a problem with, buying little toys from the bodega on a regular basis because those toys, I mean, I think there's an environmental issue with it, which is not great. Um, but I don't think like a kid's psyche will be destroyed because those toys sort of come and go. <laughs> yeah, a lot of what yeah. we, a lot of what we, a lot of what I remember from my own childhood, actually, I was really into matchbox cars. That was a big part of my thing. And I had this like $2 allowance I would get every week when I was a kid. And so I would use that allowance to go to buy a matchbox car. And I had like, seemed like a thousand matchbox cars. And I don't, I didn't, what does one kid need with <laughs> just like all those matchbox cars? But I was into it. I like, it was the, I really did like the acquisition, but like then, but the thing is I would organize the ones that I really, they were top. I had, I was a little bit OCD about it. I had like the top 12, they were, they had names and organized in terms of awesomeness. And then the other, the remaining ones just were like, 
the rabble. They were just the, the like they were the masses, the unwashed masses, and these were the, like the royal cars <laughs> and the unwashed masses. I would just I didn't think much about them. I would give them away to friends. Friends would take them. They, sometimes every once in a while, like an adult would be like, "Oh, we're going to donate some stuff." I'd be like, "You can donate some of these because I'm just going to get more." So we kept it moving, but there were the twelve golden ones that were really important. So all that's to say that I think the thing about um, how many. Like I, I think buying little toys is a fun activity and something to do when we know it can be really boring, boring having a kid that age. So I think it's not a problem. I think that you should look a lot at donation and and how you can keep the flow, keep the sort yeah. of like feng shui mm. of toy movement yeah. as part of the thing. That's a really key thing. But I also think that if you are going to – if that many toys are going to get purchased – you should see if you could do some of the toy buying so that, yeah. your, so that your kid doesn't, you know, if you, if you like finally like admit that, okay, we're going to do these little bodega trips for little cheap toys every week or so, then you need to get in on that so right. that your kid doesn't just associate that with. Yeah. With, so I, you know. I need to relax and claim some of the toy buying glory for myself. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, that, that, I think it's a good solution. There's yeah. like a cool... I like the bin, Bin's idea, Rebecca. That, that yeah. I, I've thought about that, but I haven't like actually tried to implement it. Um, so obviously storage is an issue in a tiny New York apartment, but I think mm. it, I, I do think p- hiding stuff and then reintroducing it is totally a great idea. And, um, also it's what just, you do with dogs, by the uh, way, too. Yeah. <laughs> and also, light, also lightening up, also a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I remember when, my my son Teddy was super into Matchbox cars, and I don't know if they still make these, but they used to have this like Matchbox car holder that you hung over a door, and it had these gla- mm-hmm. these like plastic pouches. Mm-hmm. They're sort of like one of those shoe yes. shoe hanging like the shoe things. things. That's exactly yeah. What it's like. yes. And and you would put a one car in each pouch, and it held like it held a lot. So I think the idea of having like those have the place of honor, and then he has to choose one to give to somebody else if he gets a new one. I think that's a really good yeah. idea. I mean, if it, if this yeah. is gonna if this horrible habit of spoiling your child is gonna continue, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a way. I also think it's in, it. Yeah, I also think it's important that they're not that the toys that you're buying are these cheap toys. It's not like every week you're going out and buying like the seventy dollar like no, laser no. tag systems yeah. or anything. You know, right. so it really is about the gesture and the experience more than the object, which I totally get. Right. Yeah, and everyone knows that when you get a kid a Matchbox car, he'll be quiet for the rest of the day while you get your coffee or whatever. So I get it. I totally get it. Um, So I have a little bit of a fail this week, but it's more a little more existential. Um, My younger son, Teddy, um, reported that he's feeling a little bit abandoned, especially when he's at his dad's house because his brother, who now drives and has a car and has a girlfriend, is like gone all the time. (laughs) And, um, you know, I, I, you know, we live in a different sort of area of town than their dad does and I think their dad lives in a little more of like an outside pocket of town so when Henry wants to have friends over like he'll do it at our house so we just see Henry more on the weeks where I have the boys I think than Teddy and his dad see Henry when they're at his house for geographic reasons and Teddy's talking about feeling abandoned and we're sitting at the dinner table the other night and he's like yeah he's like Henry you're just never around and you know I just I kind of feel like I want to have a relationship with my brother I mean we just have each other like I hear him like parroting all these things that I'm sure adults have said at some point in front of them and uh then Teddy says yeah I don't want to be like mom with her sisters and like never talk to them (laughs) whoa sick burn (laughs) 
Yeah. Ouch. Sick burn. Yeah. Super ouch. Um, and I do know this coming. I mean, my older sister and I have two sisters. My older sister and I are closer than my middle sister and I. Um, you know, we talk somewhat, but I definitely haven't been visiting and talking to her as much in the last couple of years as I had before because in addition to my day job, we're now doing all this like podcasting stuff and we have this business that's kind of taken off. And yeah, I used to have a closer relationship with my sister that and the kids used to see her a lot and they don't and they have noticed so I feel like a dick and um, I'm trying to figure out some ways I can um, show not tell uh, being what being a good sibling is like in adulthood so that my kids have something a little better to aspire to than being better than their crappy sibling mother is in this situation so yeah Wow. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. All right. I don't need advice. I just need uh, acknowledgement <laughs> that that sucked. So thanks, guys. <laughs> that totally sucked, and it's the yeah, sort that of, totally sucked. That it, that's the sort of thing where you can imagine, like maybe the kids aren't su- super in tune to that, and then you mm. realize they're completely paying attention. Um, oh, totally. But, yeah, and that <laughs> you know these these small things that maybe you haven't even given it so much attention yourself, and that they've noticed. Like that's a, a very uh, sort of Chilling reminder that your children are always watching. Exactly. They yeah. watch. They're, they're never not watching. They are the elf on the shelf, but in real life is what these kids are like. <laughs> not Wait, that I like. What? I'm like. The in, elf? Oh, what is that? Wait, oh, you've never heard of elf on the shelf? No, it's the this? worst. See, I, I'm, I'm famously a Why hater you... of elf on the shelf. I'm famously a hater of it. So don't get what me started. It, but I did just bring it up. Carvel, I it's can't believe you are such a lion in the world of parenting. He's lucky. And not know He's what lucky. this is. Oh, He's I lucky feel, though. He I feel that my kids. All right. Well, just you might as well tell okay. me. Okay. Um, an elf on a shelf is an elf that people put up around. I don't know. Maybe around Thanksgiving, where uh, where fuck? it is watching the children. <laughs> no. To where be is this sure, going? What is? We are sick. We are a broken. To be society. Sh- not sorry. just. It's no longer Santa's watching. The elf is, is oh, there, geez. and then when they go to sleep, they move the elf. So it's like, oh, they're in a new spot in the house. So you better watch out. They're always watching. It's kind of like this authoritarian state mentality yep. about good it. behavior. <laughs> it is like definitely it. an authoritarian state idea about good behavior, and so it essentially disguised as an adorable tradition that is not a tradition because someone made it up and sold it as a product. Yeah, and I think it's Whoa. only like 10 years old like I, or I, it's not like a long-standing tradition. Um, no. Jesus. So people buy the elf and it just basically tell their kids it's they're always watching so uh, they better be good for the whole Christmas and they use it as a form of mind control. <laughs> Well, that's the most horrific thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Thank you for sharing that with me. And it's the most accurate description of Elf on the Shelf I've ever heard anyone give. So nice job with that. Nice job. Um, Mom and Dad are fighting listeners who love Elf on the Shelf. I hope you'll send us your emails. Oh, we'll get angry emails about this. Justify yourself, please. Please. Try to make sense of this. Yeah. I'm only here today, so I don't have to read the emails. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to get a barrage. Bring it on, Facebook messages. Bring it on. We'll get to listener questions in just a minute, but first, let's do a little bit of business. First, we want to tell you about another Slate show. It's Trumpcast, a quasi-daily podcast from Slate that sets out to understand the real Donald Trump. Jacob Weisberg, chairman of Slate, along with writer Virginia Heffernan and Slate chief political correspondent Jamel Bowie, will be talking to historians, psychiatrists, and other experts to help explain who this man is and why this is happening right now in the United States of America. Check out Trumpcast wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts. 
And we want to hear from you. If you want to ask us a question on air, leave us a voicemail at 424-255-7833. It's the best way to have us respond to your questions, and we love hearing from you that way. Today on Slate Plus, our special guest host, Catherine Goldstein, weighs in on the ever-angsty topic of faith and the holiday season. To hear this segment and to get ad-free episodes of the show, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is our membership program, and it's a great way to support us. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate shows and a ton of great benefits. So if you want to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, on to listener questions. Here's our first listener question. It's going to be read by our producer, Benjamin Fresh. My mother and I are basically estranged. We exchange an email once or twice a year, usually only with very general niceties or family news. I cut off contact with her several years ago after finally coming to terms with her manipulative and emotionally abusive approach to our toxic relationship. For what it's worth, I don't think she has ever been able to acknowledge the impact of her actions on the demise of our relationship. She suffers from depression and probably other undiagnosed issues, so I do have sympathy for her. But I also know I'm healthier without her. So here's my question. My daughter Ella is now almost two years old. My mom knows about her and I've shared some photos, but they have never met. I feel like I owe it to my daughter to offer some introduction to her grandmother because at some point I think she will start to ask, and I don't want her to grow up feeling like I denied her that relationship. Ella is very close with my husband's mother. I also don't feel comfortable lying to her about why we don't see my mother, but I can't figure out a way to explain it to a preschooler. To further complicate my question, my own grandmother, mom's mom, is rapidly declining, and it's likely I will need to make a decision about attending her funeral in the coming months. It would be the first time seeing my mother in four and a half years, and I would definitely want my husband to be there with me, which probably means Ella too, since it's halfway across the country. But I have maintained a warm relationship with my own grandmother and the rest of my family over the years, so I would be very sad not to go. Also for context, my parents divorced when I was a kid, and they do not communicate. I have a great relationship with my dad, and so does Ella, but he's pretty much entirely removed from the situation with my mom. What would you do? All right. So, Catherine, um, I know this is a tough one, but your guest and I believe guests should go first. And you also have a child that's young. And I'm curious to know what your thoughts are when you hear this. What would you do? Well, there's so many layers to this question. Um, So I'm going to just pull out a couple of salient thoughts. So first, um, I don't think uh, at this point you're inherently denying your child um, an amazing experience by not introducing her to her grandmother. I think um, it sounds like she has really warm and loving grandparents. And so she's not missing out on the grandparent experience. Um, That said, I do think that there are uh, situations where having a grandchild can sort of change the dynamics between a a grown uh, child and their parent and that there's potentially an opportunity to sort of be able to come together over the child in a new way that wouldn't have been possible before that child was born. But again, not fully knowing all aspects of the situation, it sounds like the relationship you've really judged to be harmful to you in the past. And so I think you shouldn't sort of force yourself back into it on your daughter's behalf, but perhaps be open to the idea of you know, that there could be ways to come together in the future. 
Um, that's a sort of macro thing. I think specifically about the funeral, my thought is that bringing a four-year-old to an actual funeral ceremony and letting that be the time that she meets her grandma for the first time would not be ideal. If you do end up going, um, which it sounds like you really want to do, and bringing your daughter along, like definitely I would recommend shielding her from that initial experience. And perhaps if you feel comfortable you know, deciding if you want your mother to meet her another day in another kind of much calmer environment. But that highly charged emotional environment of a funeral or a wake does not seem like an ideal time to introduce uh, your mother and your daughter. Hmm. Carvel, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that that's pretty much my answer note for note. I mean, I mean, this is really hard. And I, I think one of the things that's I, that always occurs to me when people say, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I've, this relationship has been ended for reasons that are general and vague, and it's unclear what those reasons are, but that the person has, like Catherine said, kind of judged the relationship to be toxic. I, I think so much of the what to do does depend on some level of knowing exactly what that means. Because mm. sometimes we have relationships that are difficult and painful for us and also reconcilable. Right. And sometimes we have relationships that are difficult and abusive and painful for us and are not reconcilable and should never be attempted to reconcile. And it's, I, I don't think that everything falls into that second category, but I think you kind of have to know what the details are. So just that having been said, let's assume that this person, that this is a relationship that, that where reconciliation is not the main goal. And so it's a question of how do I proceed as a parent knowing that I have this unreconcilable relationship with my mother. And I think the same thing, like kids don't need a billion grandparents, you know, mm. <laughs> they like that. I mean, it's, that's a, that's a, I, I don't think you have to have that. My kids have sort of, you know, like our, our, our grandparent situation is wonky in a variety of ways. And I think even having, it's great if you can have one grandparent, but if that grandparent is is good and fun and brings happiness and joy to the life for the kid, then it's a wonderful thing. But if the relationship with that grandparent is toxic and damaging and difficult, it's not worth it and it's not mandatory. And especially mm. in the case that you described where there already are loving grandparents. I also agree that a funeral, I wouldn't take a four-year-old to a funeral anyway. I mean, under it's. I'm sure there are some instances in which I might, but I would look very hard to see if there's a way I could not bring a four-year-old to a funeral. Yeah, and so her, her I think daughter's that's a just two, thing. actually. She's she's oh, not sorry. four. She's I'm two. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's oh, okay. She said four. She said four and a half years, which is why I think the four-year-old. Oh, stuff. oh, because right. she hadn't talked yeah, to her, her mom for four and a half years. Oh, right. two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely yeah. do not bring your two-year-old to the, <laughs> I don't think, the funeral. Yeah, you can easily yeah. not bring a two-year-old yeah. to a funeral, and it doesn't. In some ways, I would probably bring a two-year-old more than I'd bring a four-year-old because a four-year-old is going to have more questions. I think a two-year-old is going to be a little bit more little bit more of toddler arm candy that just makes people laugh but that that aside i i wouldn't bring a kid to a funeral anyway under most circumstances and mm. so that clears the question of how to deal with that and and if you were to somehow do that for some reason which i don't you know you make you could decide that i also agree that that would be a pretty charged and difficult environment to also introduce this this other person and so you know, when I think ahead, I think that, of course, a kid is going to ask ultimately, hey, like, what's the deal with your mom? Do you ever talk to her? Like, why haven't I ever met your mom kind of thing? And I, if I were in your situation as a parent, one thing I'd be afraid of, I'd be afraid to, depending on the variety of circumstances, but there'd be a part of me that was afraid of saying 
that I am sort of estranged from my mom and explaining mm. what that is to my, let's say, six-year-old or eight-year-old or whenever the kid asks this, because I wouldn't, I'd be afraid of introducing that idea to them, that yeah. we might be estranged sometime. And in some ways, that would be the biggest emotional fear underneath all this for me. And I would want to hear, the thing I would want to hear if I was in that situation is like a real distinction between the reason I'm not talking with my mother is 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 because she is toxic and damaging. And I am not toxic and damaging to my kids. And I never, and I hope I never am. And so my, I don't, I think I, I sense that there's, and this is just maybe mind reading, but I sense that there's some possible guilt on the part of this letter writer about the fact, about their part in the fact that the relationship is, has fallen to distance. And I would, if I were in that situation, I would want someone to remind me, it's okay. It's not your fault. You don't have to feel guilty about it and you don't have to hide the fact of it. And your child will ask about it when they're ready to ask about it. And then when they're ready to ask about it, if I were in your situation, I would explain it as clearly and directly as I can. Uh, I don't have a relationship with her. We had a difficult time. She, I found her to be hurtful. She was a person who was in a lot of pain, and sometimes she caused that pain to other people, and I didn't want that. And um, and I try to be a better mother, and I, and I love you very much. <laughs> Something like that, which is the kind of thing I've actually had to say to my kids um, around some things too. So, yeah, it's a tough situation. It is. And it, it, the situation really resonates with me. I really wanted to hear what both of you had to say first, because I am in almost a, in this exact situation. I, I don't really have a relationship with my father. He and my mother are divorced. They were divorced when I was little. And um, it's always been very hard to navigate that with my two kids. When they were younger, I tried to reestablish a relationship with my dad because I had this same feeling and I got a lot of pressure um, from him and just from other people in my family that like I would be somehow denying my kids a relationship with a grandparent. So, you know, I tried. Um, it didn't really work out for me. It made me really unhappy and put me in a very bad place. Um, then I got divorced. And then the easy out for a few years was that my dad had a um, you know, a, a polite relationship with my ex. So the, he would arrange visits with the kids and stuff and to take the kids to movies and stuff with my ex and not with me. And so that was kind of like a a peaceable kind of in-between situation. But now the kids are a little bit older. And frankly, I've been really transparent with them about, you know, kind of my relationship with my dad, why it is the way it is. They get it. And they now make the choice. I mean, they have a cordial relationship with them. If he wants to take them to play golf or something, like they'll go. Um, but they don't think it's weird. Um, they have lots of other grandparents with whom me, their dad, their stepdad have good relationships. So they get to see a lot of um, positive interaction with grandparents. I don't think they feel deprived. And I, I also pick up what you picked up, Carvel, is that there's some guilt here. I do think... There is in the culture a sense that grandparents have a right um, to grandchildren. And frankly, I don't think that's the case. And um, in my lifetime, in my experience, in my life, um, I have worked really hard to get over that pressure of grandparents having a right to be a part of everything. Um, if they were bad parents, they don't have that right. And if they 
create situations that are toxic. And if you worry that they are going to put your kids in a situation where they're going to let your kids down in some way, it is absolutely a parenting decision you get to make to keep that wall up on their behalf. And when they get a little bit older and you can be more transparent, talk about it then. So I I agree with what both of you had to say. And as someone in this situation, I would just say it is your right to um, to keep that that wall up. So it is hard, though. It's really, really hard. And this was a tough question. And I really appreciate uh, the fact that it was asked because it's something that we haven't talked about on the show, I don't think, before, right? Mm, We have not. All right. Our next question comes in the form of a voicemail from a listener. So let's listen to that. Hi, my name is Sajel. And I had a question uh, for Slate's Mom and Dad are Fighting podcast. Um, My four-year-old daughter is great at following rules and instructions, but I'm concerned that she's too dependent on them. For example, she insists on copying the picture on the box of Lego sets, or once when playing with clay, she insisted I play too, and then she copied the butterfly I made. And another time, after I left her design-your-own puzzle to do with her grandparents, I returned to see that she'd drawn a tractor, just like the one that was on the package. I always encourage her to do whatever she wants instead of copying, and I praise her creations no matter what. Um, But I'm concerned because I was the exact same way as her when I was a child. And although I'm very happy with my career as a physician, it's one where I could work very hard, learn lots of stuff, and then apply that knowledge rather than one where I direct my every move. I fear that if my daughter continues to rely on directions and following the rules, she's going to be limiting her life and career options and won't be able to pursue more self-directed careers, such as being an artist, a media mogul, an entrepreneur, a journalist. She's only four, so I know I have time to nip this problem in the bud, but I have no idea how. My husband insists this trait is inherited, in her DNA and that we can do nothing about it. As podcasters and journalists, you all have the self-direction that I wish to install in her. So I'd love to hear your insights into how I could help her. Thank you so much. Love the podcast. All right. Uh, Carvel, do you want to tackle this one first? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 um, man, I, I, I relate to this question a lot, actually, because I think that there is, and I've talked about this before in the show, I think that there is this feeling when our kids are very young that um, their entire future depends 100% on our input, you know, that like we have to navigate in these very particular ways, otherwise this other terrible thing will or will not happen in 30 plus years. <laughs> and I think that that's, I think as as parents of you know, to- young toddler, preschool age kids, whatever, we overestimate the extent to which we can navigate around future, around th- things that may may or may not take place in 30 years down the road. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the daughter copying things and playing by the rules in any way means anything about anything that will happen career-wise for this person. I just really don't. I know that I myself, it's funny that you used us as an example. I am someone who... Has I mean I've I've worked straight office jobs for many decades and I've always hated having a boss and I've always been someone who's like done his own thing and now I do my own thing and blah blah blah. But I also know that when I was a kid I was tremendously risk averse. I mean I was terribly risk averse. Other kids would make fun of me. They'd be like, "Let's go do this thing." I'd be like, "Gosh, is this is this safe?" You know, it's like I just <laughs> I was just that kid, you know, and um and 
but it turns out that I found the way in which I'm not risk averse. I'm not risk averse in my work, in my in in my writing, and in the way that I go about doing my thing in the world. I just had to find my thing that I was driven and passionate enough about that I didn't even see as a risk where other people saw risk. And so that's how I got here. It was not because anyone encouraged me to color outside the lines or anything like that, because I was afraid to color outside the lines because I always wanted to please everyone all the time when I was a kid. That was a really big part of my growing up. So I just use my own example as a way of saying there are so many factors that, that are going to come into the hopper between now and the time your kid's career comes to pass that whether or not they make – they copy the tractor on the box or they make something different, I don't think is as big a thing as you think. I guess – and I guess really in, in a – I, like I, my advice to most parents of young kids is relax. You know, like in general, that's and I wish someone had told me that because being a parent of a young child is so stressful. And I wish someone had told me you don't have to stress nearly as much as you think you do because I could have used the sleep, you know. And um, and so I guess that's the main thing I say. And the other thing I, I guess is like you're I it feels like you're seeing something in your daughter that that you think is a reflection of you. And that you're uncomfortable with about yourself, which is something I hmm. totally relate to. One of my favorite quotes about parenting ever was from my kid's mom, Joe, who said that having kids is like having your character defects grow legs and run around outside. Of <laughs> and, <laughs> and that has been my experience. That is one of the most terrifying things about having kids is watching them do all the things and be all the things that you secretly hate about yourself because you've passed right. it on to them. You just have. And yep. that's just the way it is. You just you hand off the baton to them. You're like, maybe you'll deal with this better than I do. Good luck. Go get them. You know. And oftentimes they do, and sometimes they don't. But either way, it's out of our hands. You, your daughter sounds like a lovely person. Sounds like she's going to be great. <laughs> sounds like she's a great, caring, loving mom. I would just, you know, I would just get off her back, let her do what she's going to do. One day she'll color outside the lines when she wants to. One day she won't. Or she won't. Just, she's good. Or she won't. You know, she's good. She's really good. Yeah, she, she's actually so reminiscent of what my stepdaughter was like when she was little. And I remember, and and I don't know if that's what this mom is feeling sometimes, but I remember just feeling like it was really boring. Like, why are you just like not mm. able to like do anything different than what it is you're mm. being presented? And I had really like concerns that does she have no imagination? You know, what's the matter? And you know what? Turns out the same traits that you're looking in, and worried about, like actually end up making you really successful in school because right. kindergarten and first grade and second grade and third grade and fourth grade especially are all about here are the directions please follow them and as a result she was always really sort of successful in all of these structured things that are very hard for a lot of kids we never had to worry about any of that and it's just Carvel said like all the creative stuff like it just kicks in it just starts happening just like it happened with you I mean you turn into a physician listener so I'm guessing uh, you were probably also successful in school and now you love to learn new things so yeah I, I don't I wouldn't worry too much about this either I would let her be a direction follower because someday she won't be and you will be missing the time where she was <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> yeah there is going to be one night this is, I used to when my daughter wouldn't sleep Georgia was a terrible sleeper and she would be up at three in the morning and it would drive me crazy. And the only thing I would use to comfort me at my darkest moments was there's going to be a time when she's 15 or 16 and I'm going to wish that I knew where she was at 3 a.m. Right. And right. that when you have teenagers, this kid will 
find new and endless ways to not follow directions. And you're going to pray for the days when she followed directions, <laughs> I assure you. <laughs> what do you think, Catherine? Do you agree? I Yeah, I agree w- with what was said. And I also just want to add, I think that this question is much more about the mother's anxiety about her identity than it is about the child. Um, and I think she... You know, again, she's a we. She said in the call, she's a physician. She um, has had success in her life, and you know, I think a lot of the and so perhaps there's some unresolved feelings about her life choices, even though she's been really successful. But I think that the idea here is that there are certain traits that are do seem to be um, inherited, and this could potentially be one of them. And I think. Um, uh, Rebecca and Carvel are right with the school stuff like this kid's going to get a ton of positive reinforcement for this behavior in school and it's going to really help them um, feel confident in themselves academically and as they develop their other interests like having that as a base and doing well academically can be really open doors for them in other ways so I, I think mm-hmm. that there's really not a lot to worry about here and I think um, the, the listener should I should just feel feel comfortable that everything is going fine and that the the daughter, I think, will will come into her own um, in various ways and may end up being just like her. And that's actually just fine. Yeah. Especially if you're a doctor. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for sending, leaving that voicemail. And we love getting questions by voicemail. We love hearing listeners' voices on the show. And if you want to add your voice, you can call the show at 424-255-7833. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, now it's time for recommendations. Catherine, what have you got for us? Okay, so my recommendation is really more aimed at the mom listeners of Mom and Dad are Fighting, which I will explain why in a minute. My recommendation is to take yourself out to bars by yourself. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So um, I a a week or two ago... Um, I was going to have this big professional day. I had a big cover story coming out and I was super excited and my son got sick. So I ended up spending like the whole day with him next to me on the couch, sort of frantically trying to do my work while he was sick. And um, at the end, this was a day that I was like really jazzed about. And then at the end, and I basically had to stay in the house the whole day. It was like super claustrophobic. And I like felt really good. I wanted to celebrate. But then it's like it was like a Tuesday. It was a weekday. I texted a friend or two who like couldn't drop everything with 10 minutes notice and go out to have a drink with me. So I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go out to a bar by myself. So my husband got home. I was like, OK, great. You take over. Um, I went to a bar down the street 
ordered myself a Negroni, had read on my Kindle, like eavesdropped on people who were on dates. <laughs> and it was totally awesome. And That's the thing amazing. is, the thing is, is that I would not have gone out to bars by myself in my 20s because one, I think I would have felt like a loser. And two, I would have felt uncomfortable as a woman going out to bars at that age that I was just like asking for men to come talk to me. But a certain kind, I mean, obviously this is not going to work at every type of bar, but in the certain kinds of hipster cocktail bars that are in Brooklyn, uh, a woman going out alone with a book is apparently not like a complete oddity and people did not act like I had 12 heads and no <laughs> one bothered me and it was fine and it was totally awesome and um, I felt like I got like a special celebratory moment and I didn't feel like a loser just because my friends couldn't drop everything and meet me. And um, then when I came home, it turned out my son had a huge potty accident. My husband had to clean everything up and he was in bed. And so I missed all that after spending all day with him. And I was just like, wow, I was like everybody. um, So like, I think it can be really hard when you have little kids to relax at home, even if the kids aren't there. There's just like so much mess. There's so much going on. So get yourself out of the house. Take yourself out to a nice hipster cocktail bar. Bring your book. <laughs> that's my recommendations for the moms of the world. Now, that, that's really, that's a Love good it. one. I really like it. And I like what you had to say about there is something about when you become a parent, like that whole being at a bar alone thing just feels completely different. It doesn't feel weird. It doesn't feel like you used to look at people and think like, why is she here alone? It doesn't feel that way at all because you just don't care anymore. You're just happy to be not be home dealing yeah. with poo or whatever you're yeah, dealing with, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, and the reason I aimed it at moms is that I think that men in general are like – are historically more comfortable going to bars alone. Like I think mm-hmm. yes. like sports yes. bars, there's a much bigger culture. That's why I don't, I don't think like dads inherently need this recommendation, although I'm sure dads can benefit from this, but I just want to encourage moms to just go for it because I was a little hesitant at first that I would feel like a big weirdo, but whatever, who cares what anyone thinks? Just go out, have a Negroni. Yeah. Yeah. I have to second that because when you said, you know, um, I, you know, feel like it's okay to do it and people aren't going to look at me like, like I have 12 heads. I literally found myself thinking, why would anyone look at her like she had 12 heads? Like, I don't even get that. And then I was like, oh, I don't get that because I'm a guy. So when I go right. to a bar alone, people I was like, oh, like it just dawned on me. So yeah, guys, dads do not need the reminder. In fact, dads could probably stand to be reminded, hey, stop going to bars without your family. Go home and take care of your kids, my man. That's dads, maybe send, the send your wife to a bar. <laughs> Give her dads, her Kindle. send your wife to a bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get home early so your wife can hit the happy hours. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, my recommendation is an article that I was sent to me. I My day job, I'm a digital director at a news outlet and always looking for cool ways that people do news stories using digital tools. And this one was sent to me and it ended up also being a parenting story. And I just I love both the story and the digital treatment. And this is why I'm recommending it. Um, this is from the California Sunday Magazine. There's a story called Raising a Teenage Daughter by Elizabeth Weil. Uh, Asterix with comments and corrections by Hannah W. Duane. Photography by Tabitha Soren. So Hannah W. Duane is Elizabeth Weil's 15 year old daughter. And in this essay, um, it's written in the first person by Elizabeth. But then there are these highlighted sections where if you click on the highlighted section, there's a pop-up. And those are the daughter's notes on her mother's essay. 
and they are moving, wow, interesting, so funny, and cool. And um, it reminds me a lot of, you know, during the primary and then during the presidential race, like um, NPR had this like real-time fact-checking tool where you there's like a highlighted section yes. and you pop it up and there'd be a fact-check. They use that same kind of tool except to let a 15-year-old comment on her mother's essay about parenting a 15-year-old. So it's really, really well done. It's a beautifully written piece to begin with, but I think the best part of it is reading um, the daughter's comments. The same way, very often, and the best way to learn about how we're doing as parents is to actually listen to our kids <laughs> giving us feedback about how we're doing as parents. So um, I think this is a link that I'm going to share with you guys and certainly we'll share it on the Mom and Dad Are Fighting Facebook page. Definitely take a look at it and click on all those highlighted sections. Um, my one little favorite part is she, you know, kind of the daughter sort of breaks in and the mom sort of talks about her teenage tantrums and the daughter has a little comment about like what you call tantrums is just kids venting, get over it, mom kind of thing. <laughs> but then there's this one little passage where she talks about, you know, um, at one point when your kids are little, they're about to run into traffic, you, you're able to run out and save them. And you hit that little highlighted part and the daughter just says, thanks. And it's so sweet. Aww. And uh, it, it, it kind of goes on in that vein. It gets snarky. It's mm. moving. It's wonderful. So anyway, that I really recommend amazing. checking that out. It is amazing and a really great use of digital journalism along the way. It's a great, it. Sounds like a great article. Love it. Well, um, my recommendation has to switch up at the last minute because my teenage daughter has failed me. She, um, after I failed her first, uh, yesterday I was in the car with her and I was like, oh, I got to do recommendations. What are you reading right now? What are you looking at? So she told me about this book that she loved and then she was like, it's such a great book and she described it. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to remember this. So I took a picture on my phone of the front and back cover and figured I would like research it and get it all prepped. And then I left my phone. When I came to the studio, I don't have my phone with me. So I texted Aww. her while we were doing the show. It'd be like, Georgia, what was that book? You, I left my phone at home. Can you please tell me the book? And then she texts back a half an hour later. Wait, didn't you take a picture of it on your phone? And I'm like, yeah, but I left my phone at home. I'm going on right now. Like right now they're asking. Let me know. And then I haven't heard back from her. So mm. so, so to be clear, you're me. texting on your computer just in case people yes. don't like call texting, you out for yes, like inconsistencies here. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I'm texting from my laptop <laughs> so and it, my it, daughter, who's not, she's not supposed to be texting at school at all. So it, this is not her fault by any stretch yes, of the imagination. It's your anyway, fault. it's anyway, it sounds my, like it's she's holding you accountable for leaving your phone at home, Carvel. <laughs> she really is. I she's think like, you should I think just... about the lesson she's teaching you right now. <laughs> oh, no. So we've all come full circle. So that having been said, I'm going to recommend a book that she, a book that I know she loved, and she talks about it all the time. And that book is Wonder. It's a children's novel by um, an author named R.J. Palacio. And Wonder is a book about a fifth grade boy who um, suffers from a rare medical facial deformity. And it's written in the first person from, as as I recall, it's written in the first person from this person's point of view. And Georgia found that book moving and stunning. She talks about it all the time. She references it. I think it had a really huge impact on her understanding of the world, her understanding of narrative and point of view, and her understanding of story and writing. And she's just listed as one of her favorite books. So I just wanted to recommend that. That's Wonder by R.J. Palacio. And a movie just came out too, right? What? A movie just came out. uh, Yeah, with Julia Roberts. Yeah, a couple weeks ago. The biggest movie star in the world, Carvel. (laughs) You live under a rock? The the biggest movie star in the world of 1997. Wait, I had no idea. Oh, I did not know that. that, I missed that entire thing. What the heck? (laughs) 
Slate's Luddite <laughs> mom and dad are fighting. <laughs> we'll be sure to brief you on everything happening before the show yeah, starts. Please do. I have no idea. Okay. We'll All be right. sure to send you the uh, DVD version of that movie with special <laughs> DVD commentary. I, I Laser heard, disc only, please. <laughs> I heard the movie was great, too. Yeah. Good. That's good so, to know because yeah. sometimes they have, yeah. All right. Well, that does it for the show. Uh, Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Benjamin Frisch. The homepage for the show is slate.com slash mom and dad. If you have a question you'd like to ask on the air, leave a message at 424-255-7833. You can also join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. And yes, Carvel and Gabe and I do pop in and answer follow-up questions that you have about the show. For Carvel Wallace, Catherine Goldstein, and me, Rebecca Lavoie, we will see you next week. And Gabe, we hope you feel better soon. Bye.